This month, we're actually gonna be starting a whole new series called Doctrine 101. Doctrine 101. Who gets excited for doctrines? Hey, oh yeah! Woo! That's right, this month we're gonna be learning words like justification and sanctification and words like that which seem like, oh, these words are way too big for us. Listen, if you can remember decaffeinated caramel macchiato or Star Wars Mandalorian, you can remember those words, right? So we're all on the same page. So we're gonna be doing some complicated stuff this month, but hopefully we'll make it into something that we call Christianity for Dummies, right? You remember those books? Remember the books? No? Okay, all right. They used to have those books, they're called Christianity for Dummies, and they used to have it like that, but we don't think of ourselves as dummies. So we decided to call it Doctrine 101. Way back in the year 325, who doesn't remember that year, right? Yeah, it was a good year, right? In the year way back in the year 325 AD, there was a bunch of the church fathers got together because they had realized that there was a lot of problems within churches across the Middle East, which is where the church really began. And just as last month when we read the whole book of the first of John, John was speaking to the church and trying to correct some beliefs that had gone in an erroneous way. The church fathers in, in, the, in the year 325 got together and said, we have got to address this problem. What was the problems that were going on? Well, people were becoming confused about what the gospel of Jesus Christ was. What was it that we as Christians believe? And some of them were saying, well, maybe Jesus wasn't actually human. He was just a spirit that came down. Maybe he wasn't really God. Maybe he was just a really good man. Was he really born of virgin birth? Maybe he just had some really good teachings and he was giving us a good example of how we could become good people. And in those days, they were having a real issue of trying to make it clear in people's minds what it is that we believe as Christians. And so when they got together, they had a thing that they called the First Ecumenical Council of Nicaea. Now that sounds like some big important uh, words together, like these must have been really important people. They were just early church fathers and probably mothers as well who decided to talk about what do we believe so that we can help this generation and the future generation understand what it is to be a Christian, what we must believe. Because when it comes down to it, if you're not clear in what you believe, then you don't really hold to the faith of Jesus Christ. If there's anything that you remove from it or anything that you twist or change in it, it is anything else that you want to call it, you can call it that, but you can't call it Christianity. And so what they did is they decided to hammer out the exact details of what we believe. In present day churches, if you've grown up in a, in a traditional church, you probably uh, even quoted the Apostles' Creed that was really created in the fifth century based on this Nicene Creed. And maybe you quoted it at church. Did any of you used to do that when you were growing up in church yet? The Apostles' Creed? Okay, there's many of you there. That came from the Nicene Creed. So I'm gonna quickly actually read the Nicene Creed so we can be very clear about what it says. And it says this, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, he suffered death and was buried. 
On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That's a small c, Catholic, it means universal. It's not the traditional Catholic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, amen. If you've ever wanted to know what Christianity is, that's what it is in a nutshell. It's been distilled down. There's lots of other things we could talk about, lots of other doctrines, lots of other important things. But at the basis of everything that we believe, this is the fundamental of what is the basis of our faith. If we get one piece of this wrong or one part of this wrong, it starts to fall apart. The funny thing is, when they wrote this, they were trying to deal with problems of what people were getting confused about the faith of Jesus Christ. But the fact is, we're still having the same problem today. One of my uh, brother-in-laws was uh, meeting a friend of his recently and, and it was a long-time friend and he was chatting with him and he's like, hey, do you, do you, do you, have, do you have a place in, in your life for God? And he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm a Christian. He goes, well, how do you know you're a Christian? He's like, because I'm a good man. And he said, I don't think you understand what Christianity is. And the problem is, this is much more common than you would realize that people don't know what Christianity really is. And I actually wonder if we have been a part of being a problem of this as a church universal, as parents, because what we've done, we've actually taught our children only to be cultural Christians. Cultural Christianity, what is that? Well, when you are... When you're born or you're raised within a culture, you're more likely to become like that culture. I wonder if you know where I come from. Does anyone want to take a guess where I come from? Wales? No. Nice one. I like that. Canada? No. I've been kind Ireland? Okay, thanks very much. Any other takers? Any other takers? One bit in the back. Scotland, thank you. Thank you, right? How do you know that? You've never been there. You've never even seen me there. How do you know I'm from Scotland? Because it told you. Okay, thanks very much. That's good. Because you talk funny and you say strange Scottish things, right? There's, there's maybe even the way I act or the way I talk or the way I think or some of that. I'm culturally a Scot, right? I've, I've mimicked that. And yet I've come out of Scotland, but I'm still speaking the same way that I am. So it tells you I'm not just culturally a Scotland, a Scot. I'm actually a Scot, Right? But the problem is there are many young Christians and even adult Christians who have become Christians and they have embraced Christianity simply because they're in Christian circles. But as soon as you take them out of the Christian circle, they start to lose their faith because their faith was actually built on the culturalness of what they were a part of, not based on what they truly believe. And I believe that we have actually not made it clear to young people about what they should believe and why they should believe. They're not clear on what they believe and why they should actually believe it. And then what happens is we'll often allow them to go off to college, go off to university, and suddenly they start to have their faith attacked by other thoughts and other thinking. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. They should always be attacked by other thoughts. We should always be exposed to the world. We should always be the the, 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 the ones 
were sent into the world like emissaries in order to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we go into the world and we don't know what we believe and why we believe it and we lose our faith, we were cultural Christianities, cultural Christians all along. And this is happening a lot to young people. And I think it's because many of us as Christian families have actually only been teaching our children how to be good people. Let me tell you, good people doesn't get you to heaven, right? Following Jesus Christ and knowing that you're a sinner saved by faith is what makes you someone who finds their name in the Lamb's book of life. And we have, not, we have trained them, in a, in a sense, we have actually trained our children to submit to cultures. And in fact, I believe that's what happened last year in, the, in 2020. We had rioting, we had racial things, and we had the political stuff, and we had all these different battles going forward. And it's simply because people were stirred up by culture. Let me tell you, if we are losing our faith because of what the culture is saying around us, we don't know what we believe. And we don't know why we believe it. It's our fault. Listen, if you're online with me right now, I want you to know that we can do something about this. If we learn how to actually tackle this faith ourselves, we can actually train our children how to tackle their faith too. Not just tell them, no, don't believe this, only believe that. No, let's help our children to discover what do you want to believe and why you should believe it. Follow me, yes, but follow me as I wrestle my faith. You follow me on this one? And so I believe there are four questions that you must answer in order to truly hold Christian belief. Four questions you must answer to hold Christian beliefs. Here's number one. The first one is this. Did Jesus really exist? Do you know that? How do you know that? Because the Bible tells me, well, the Bible says it, then I just believe it and that just settles it. Really? Because that's not enough for many people in the world. It's not enough for the people that you've actually been tasked with trying to win to Jesus Christ. They need a little bit more in order to understand, did he actually exist? Because maybe he was just a story. Maybe the early disciples just got together and say, hey guys, I've got this really great idea. I know Jesus died and everything, but you know, or maybe he didn't even exist. Let's just get together and come up with some new ideas. People are literally saying, it's too long ago. How can we really know what the truth is? There have been too many changes in the documents from one document to the next document to the next document. And I've literally had someone say that to me and I've said, how do you know? Oh, because that's what I've heard. <laughs> okay, anyone can hear anything, but have you actually studied it? Have you looked into it? Well, then they could say back to me, well, how do you know it hasn't changed? Have you looked into it? I'm posing the question to you. Have you looked into it to find out what the evidence is? Or one of my favorite ones is, I just believe in scientific proof. Well, listen, you can't measure scripture by scientific proof because it's not a scientific book. It's a historical record. And so therefore you have to make the difference between what proof is and what an evidence is. Let me tell you, let me show you the difference. I can prove that gravity exists. You know how I can prove it? I'm going to jump up and I'm going to be pulled down to earth again. You watching? Boo! I just can't pull down to earth again. That's proof. Evidence is something that you can't replicate, but you have to look at what the evidence is to be able to show, did Jesus actually exist? Listen, if we're about to say we don't have enough evidence to prove that Jesus exists, then we'd have to say we don't have enough evidence to say that the founding fathers even existed. In fact, there's a very good book if you're interested. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He's a man who wasn't a Christian, decided to look into it. And as he looked at all the evidence, he said, I believe that Jesus existed. What is the evidence? 
Well, I'll tell you very quickly, there's actually over 5,000 documents that prove that Jesus walked this earth. And I'm not just talking about 5,000 documents of people who were Christians. I'm talking about extra curricular, extra biblical records like Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian that worked for the Roman Empire. He wrote this huge volume that even mentions about Jesus stirring up the Middle East in his day. We even know about even today, what's his name? Muhammad, who is the prophet of the Muslims. He mentions Jesus as well, 500 years after Jesus actually walked the earth. Let me tell you, have you ever investigated the evidence? It's preposterous to base your belief without reviewing the evidence. It's important for us to know how to do it as Christians ourselves so we can teach our children how to do it as well so they don't fall into the pit of cultural Christianity, number two, let's look at number two. The second question you must answer is, where are his teachings reliable and consistent? Where are his teachings reliable and consistent? You see, if he lied, you shouldn't trust him. If he lied or he contradicted himself, then absolutely a person has a right to say, I shall not follow Jesus Christ. But if you ever look at his magnum opus, which is his great volume of work in Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, it's all about the Sermon on the Mount and we can distill it down to two different things. He taught us how to treat other people and how to treat God. How to treat other people and how to treat God. And his teachings do not contradict each other. But you need to be exposed to whether he did actually contradict himself. You see, maybe he did contradict himself when he came and said, you know, I am God. Well, how do you prove that he's God, right? Every, how many people have walked the earth and said, I am God? And the rest of us have gone, really? I don't, th I think you've been ooh, too much on the ganja there, right? You're, you're having too much, well, I don't know what sake you're taking, but Kimo Sabe, there is no you being God, right? How do we know then Jesus is actually God? How do you know that? Well, I just know it. How do you know it? That's the question you have to answer. Were his teachings reliable and consistent? I'm not gonna answer that question perfectly for you. I wanna throw you into the deep end. Number three, the third question is, how did he live and die? How did he live and die? Why? Because this is the hypocrisy test. The hypocrisy test is you say one thing and you do something different. His lifestyle had to match what he taught. Did it match? My answer is, yes, it did match. But every person who holds to a specific belief must be measured on whether they can live it out. Can they actually do it? The answer is yes, Jesus did live to it. He passed the test. Now many reject Jesus because they see Christians who will say one thing and will do another. But I would say to you this, I would say don't follow Christians, follow Christ. Right? We have much evidence of even pastors and leaders, point in case, recently one of the biggest leaders, Ravi Zacharias, who fell tremendously from grace and many are now questioning their own faith. And I'm like, what was your faith based on? Was it a Ravi Zacharias faith? Well, you were always gonna fail. You were always gonna fall apart on that point. Why? Because we don't follow Christians, we follow Jesus Christ. But the biggest thing I think of how he actually lived was actually how he changed how to treat people. The way he, the way he uh, 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 treated poor people was vastly different. The way he treated uh, uh, rejected people or sick people, the way he healed them, the way he loved them and looked after them. And specifically, the way that he treated women was absolutely revolutionary for its day. His life is worth following. This answers this question. His life is worth following. But what about his death? 
Well, here's the cool thing about the way he died. When he was brutally, uh, um, it was absolutely brutalized in his body. He was tortured and then he was put up on a, on a, on a cross, also half alive, and he was left to rot there and to die there on a cross. He did it forgiving his enemies. He lived out and he died out the way that he taught us to live out. He actually did what he told us we should do. He went first. And especially in a culture of when you, when you see someone who is, is being hard done by or who has been murdered or has been killed or been badly treated, we all start demanding justice, justice, justice. Let me tell you, Jesus led by example and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He led by example, he lived by example, and he even died by example. Now we've gotten to the third place of, is he, the, the third question of asking the question of, is he someone we should believe in? Is he someone we should actually follow? But maybe he was just a good person. Maybe he lived an amazing life that we can all mimic, but he wasn't actually God. Well, then that takes us to our last and our final question this morning. Was he resurrected? This is a hard one to actually answer because I don't have any living proof. I don't have any necessarily direct evidence that I can show unless you believe in the Turin Shroud, etc., etc. But there is much evidence that is still in existence to be able to show us or tell us, did he actually come alive? Was he resurrected from the dead? Now, this would make him God if he was. Now, to be clear, there was other people who were actually resurrected, but the reason why we don't believe that they were God is because they eventually died again right? Jesus was the one who was resurrected and didn't die again. We have no record of him dying, but we have over 500 people who testified to seeing him after he died and then was resurrected. We have testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of over 500 people who said, I saw the risen Lord. And we have 12 people plus their other disciples that saw him actually go up to heaven. Now, maybe the disciples lied. Maybe they were just making up. Maybe they were like, hey guys, oh, we, we know that Jesus didn't get resurrected, but we know he, he's still in the tomb and we took his body and we stole it away and we pretended the stone was rolled away. But we, we know fine well that everyone still thinks that we're a bunch of idiots. So let's make up the story that he actually rose from the dead, right? There are people who actually believe that. But every one of them allowed themselves to be tortured and crucified and killed and murdered for their faith and they still said, Jesus is alive. How many people do you know that are willing to be killed and tortured and brutalized for a lie? No, it's preposterous. It's preposterous to think that there is anyone out there who's willing to die for a lie that they know that they made up. But there is one other piece of evidence that proves that Jesus was resurrected. And there's not a piece of evidence that you can do by human form. It's only by the Holy Spirit. It says, this is Jesus saying, but when the helper, that is the Holy Spirit comes, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. I completely accept that if you've answered all the questions of, uh, yes, Jesus did exist. Yes, he's trustworthy. Yes, he did live and die in such a way that was trustworthy. Yes, his teachings was amazing. And yes, it seems like there was evidence that he raised from the dead. I would completely understand if you would say, but I'm still not completely sure. You know why? Because only the Holy Spirit can testify to it for you in your heart. You follow me so far? 
There's something about this that is so important that we have to not only lead our children in mentally and intellectually understanding what we believe and why we believe it, but also training them how to walk with the Holy Spirit so they can have a witness in their heart and say, I am convinced of this. Why? Because then we train them how to become disciples that will know how to go into the world and won't buckle under opposition. This is really important. But there's one other thing. There is one last thing that Jesus said to us that we need to embrace in order to be able to hold on to our Christian belief. And it was just before he ascended into heaven, he spoke to his disciples in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Where? Go into the college campuses, go to the universities, go to your workplace, go to your neighborhoods, go to wherever God has called you and wherever God has put you. That's where you're meant to preach the gospel. Not like some preacher, but just as a normal human being who is not weird and is just saying, do you have a place in your life for God? Would you like to talk about it, right? And preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized, Why is belief not just enough? Because even the devil believes, the Bible tells us. The devil knows fine well who Jesus is. But Jesus added this on. He said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What is baptism? Well, we know that in in those days, they used to take them. In fact, Jesus was the first example. And they took Jesus and they dunked him in the water. And we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And may they all be passed away and you raised in newness of life. And we're doing that as a demonstration of actually dying into the death of Jesus Christ and being resurrected with him, right? How many of you have been baptized in this church? How many have been baptized before? Have been baptized? Lots of baptized people. But the word baptism is not a one-time word baptism. In Greek, the word baptism means and to continue being baptized. It's called the present continuous participle. The present continuous tense. In fact, there was an old story of a, I remember in the 1980s on, in the newspapers in the, in, in, in the, off the coast of, of Greece, there was a ship that actually sank off the coast of Greece and it said, ship baptizo, ship baptizo. And baptized is not a one-time event. Look, I've just said my confession of faith and I've now just been baptized. Now I'm a Christian. No, he's saying for the one who goes on believing and the one who goes on being baptized, that means being immersed in the faith of Jesus Christ. That is the one will come to salvation in completeness. Are you following me so far? Now this you can do privately. This is your private confession, your belief is your private confession, your internal confession. But baptism is your external confession. You're saying it to the world. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And every day you're baptizing yourself into the faith of Jesus Christ by what you listen to, what you look at, what you talk about, what you embrace, how you, how you live your life out. You're constantly being baptized into the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian. Don't you love it? Don't you love it that we get to live this life out? That we get to live this resurrected life of Jesus Christ to the full. When he said he's come to give us life and life to the full, he absolutely meant it. If you'd like to get baptized, go to our website, northwestorlando.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom, click on the button. We would love to be a part of your baptism to make you a first, a beginner that was willing to go into it. Listen, if there's anyone here that's not made a final commitment to be all in with Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity opportunity to actually come forward and say, I'm all in. 
I'm not here to embarrass you. I'm not here to shame you or anything like that. I'm here to give you an opportunity. And maybe today you've not answered those questions properly. That's fine. Not a problem. You don't have to answer all the questions perfectly, but you do have to make a commitment to say it's worth looking into. Because if you're able to come to the conclusion that it's not true, then fair enough, you put your effort in. But if you come to the conclusion that it is true, then you have to do something about it. And maybe you have put the effort in and you'd like to make a response. Let's all stand this morning. If there's anyone that would like to give their life to Jesus Christ this morning, I want to invite you to come down right now, stand at the front. I got pastors gonna pray for you. I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer of repentance and we're gonna put ourselves in the presence of God. Anyone here? Anyone here? Anyone wanna join in? Anyone wanna jump in? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're already Christians. Maybe you're all made a commitment to that. But if you're at home right now and you're watching, with us for the first time and this is the first time you've ever been with us I would love you to be a part of this and if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ I'm going to say the words I hope you'll repeat after me and you will get, take the first step to say I want to be all in with Jesus Christ let's pray together Father Lord we are Father God we are so grateful that you sent your son you sent your son to pay the price for the sins that I committed that I should be put to death for myself I should not be willing, I should not be, uh, 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 I should not be worthy enough to be able to live with you for eternity because I can't live up to your standard. Because, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me, I once again am able to come to you. So repeat after me. In fact, everyone just join in with me. Father, I come before you. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I accept that what he did on the cross was for my sin. I am no longer being held accountable for my sin but that He paid the price for what I should have paid for. And so I not only make a decision to believe in your Son, but I make a decision to follow your Son. And I pray that you would make me a son or a daughter as well of the Most High and help me to have fullness in Jesus Christ. Fill me with your Spirit this morning so I can have assurance of this faith. Holy Spirit, speak to me so I might be sure of Jesus Christ. May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine upon you. Don't you love being a Christian? Yes, indeed. Love you guys.